This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Johnson. And a good, good day to you folks out there across the world. This is Rob T. Johnson welcoming you to a special holiday edition of the Podium Finish Live here on major streaming platforms like Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for joining us for a very special edition of TPF Live, which is typically an hour-long conversation podcast detailing all the happenings in the world of NASCAR, IndyCar, and Formula One. Well, you're listening to a very special edition, of course, because unlike the other episodes that you've listened in the past, this is just an interview-only type show due to the holidays. So we're recording this in advance for full disclosure as we celebrate uh, Christmas with our families. But still, we wanted to give you fans a Christmas present or after Christmas present with a special guest that we're going to welcome in right now. Now, full disclosure, folks, that this interview was conducted in 2020, right around the time that um, Fox had wrapped up its NASCAR coverage. Right around that time, Jeff Gordon, who is a NASCAR Hall of Fame driver and four-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, I had been working on a special project to commemorate my 30 years of NASCAR fandom. And who better to talk to than the man who was most responsible for my journey into NASCAR than Jeff Gordon, who was working for Fox NASCAR from 2016 up until this year in 2021, before he took on his full-time role, um, executive role with Hendrick Motorsports. When this interview was conducted, I was really interested in hearing from Jeff Gordon about how he went about calling races from the Steve Burns studio with Mike Joy, because obviously during that time, NASCAR had come, came back from the two month COVID-19 pandemic break. And as we were trying to figure out how to navigate the podcast, uh, you know, the pandemic, a lot of networks were doing remote coverage. So Jeff and Steve had to, uh, not Jeff and Steve, Jeff and Mike rather had to be very creative as to how they went about these races. So we're going to hear from Jeff very shortly about how he went about that and much more. So of course, you know, Nathan Solomon, my co-host, my good friend is here as well. And so before we hear from Jeff, Nathan, I know you were, you've been a NASCAR fan for pretty much the same amount of time I've been covering NASCAR, which is a pretty interesting fact to what I just realized as we record this special edition. So before we hear from Jeff, you know, what's some of your favorite uh, memories of Jeff, maybe from the booth or on the track that you can recall? Yeah, I always enjoyed the, um, listening to Jeff call, call races, especially in 2021. I know this it was after uh, after you recorded the interview, but I really enjoyed having him and Clint and, and Mike in the booth together. I thought that was the best booth that, that Fox has had in, in, in quite a long time. But yeah, I mean, of course, I, I mean, kind of similar to last week with uh, with Bobby Labonte, I, I caught Jeff at, at sort of towards the back end of his career after... Um, uh, after all the championships and everything, but I think maybe my, my, my best memory of, of him is maybe um, that, I guess that walk-off win at Martinsville in 2015 to be able to get to the, uh, in, into the championship four there in his last season. That was super special to watch. And of course, of how special um, Martinsville is to Hendrick Motorsports and everything. That, that was a really cool moment to be able to watch on TV. And 
it was, it was an interesting race to say the least to get into that position with the whole Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano um, uh, fiasco, but, but it was really cool to be able to see uh, Jeff Gordon win that race and be able to compete for a championship there in his last season after everything he had gone through up until that point between championships. So uh, I'm really excited to hear what he, ha- uh, to hear what he has to say. I was able to, uh, he, he was he was actually the first person I was ever in a media bullpen with in, in my first ever um, NASCAR race that I covered, but um, but yeah, I'm excited to hear what what Jeff has to say. And I'm glad that you're here to hear this interview. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm I'm glad to have you joining uh, Nathan and I for this very special holiday edition of TPF Live with a driver who I would say is one of my inspirations, not only professionally but personally. So Jeff Gordon. Take it away as you're going to be in the hot seat for here on TPF Live. Take it away, Jeff. All right, Jeff. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, um, it's been a different kind of time uh, for all of us. But you, Mike Joy, all the entire Fox NASCAR crew did a fantastic job covering the races, especially during the four months, uh, the return four months ago when we came back from the COVID-19 pandemic. So how challenging but interesting was it to call races from the Seaburn studio to provide the same insightful analysis for fans at home? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I, I think we're just excited to be able to get back to racing. And um, we, we had a bit of a um, kind of a test run at it through iRacing, which was something I didn't expect. And, and I mean, to me, that's the, that's the theme of, you know, how life has been, at least for me, and I'm sure most, a lot of people would say the same thing is, you know, through all this, it's just the unknowns of things getting thrown at you that you weren't prepared for, but, you know, you're, 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 you're doing things, um, in a way to, to, you know, just stay engaged and, and do what you can and see what opportunities come around the corner. And, you know, so the iRacing one came up and, and, you know, it was fascinating to be able to, to see how realistic that is. and But it also gave us an opportunity to, uh, you know, to kind of stay in the game, if you if you will, I guess is the best way to put it, you know, stay stay fresh and, and stay in a rhythm. And so when we got back to racing um, for real, you know, I feel like we were kind of a well-oiled machine in a lot of ways of doing this remotely and, and, you know, what, what the challenges were and able to work a lot of those things out because of, of virus. And also we're very lucky that, uh, you know, we have a studio here in Charlotte. So it was close to home for me. And, and, you know, that studio helped us uh, really connect to the track and, and almost in some ways in many ways really felt uh, pretty seamless with, with how we were able to call races and, and see the action at the track while we're calling it. And I have to say that's what I thought was so fantastic, you know, reflecting upon those the races earlier in the year. So just how well prepared but still informed all of you guys were to make it so that, you know, even though you guys were in the studio, we had, you know, fans wouldn't have known. They would have just thought you guys were at the track as well. So job well done on that for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, the fir- I think the first race or two, um, we couldn't talk to the drivers. Uh, we had to do it through a remote at the track, and so you may have seen the pit reporter doing that. But uh, we got that sorted out right away, and, and we were able to talk to them. We, you know, the studio offers up a, a huge screen to be able to um, place cameras almost as if it was the booth and be able to see the racetrack 
not in its entirety, but but most of what we needed and, and similar to what we see at the track. Obviously, nothing's quite like being at the track, but um, you know, we had a good setup, so we're fortunate for that. I can absolutely understand for sure on that. As a journalist, um, it's been challenging, but we're all adapting as well as we can for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, I know he, he's mentioned in the past that, you know, you evaluate your performances in past telecasts to improve upon your calls and analysis, be it in the booth or, like you said, like you were calling races in the studio. But in some ways, how similar has it been to prepare for telecast as it was for you in your NASCAR career driving the 24 car? Uh, it's very similar. Um, obviously, the most natural thing for me was driving a race car, getting behind the wheel and, and you know, competing. But um, the preparation was what you had to work so hard at, especially in the last probably four or five years as the teams had more access to data, um, you know, gathering more information of our, you know, our car and our performance as well as other competitors out there. And, and so, you know, that really got ramped up in the, the way you met with the team and the engineers and that's that's very much what it's like, you know, working for Fox and doing TV is you know, you're working with your producer and your director and uh, the team behind the scenes and your other, uh, uh, you know, the other commentators, pit reporters, all of that. It's just one one big team. So you're you're constantly trying to um, follow what the the latest stories are. You know how to, you know, the flow of the race is going to go, what to expect, what to be prepared for, and and, and then once they drop the green, it's no different than a race. You, you're, you know, it's live and, and you got to be instinctful. You have no idea what you're going to say, what's going to come next. And so that, that part of it, you know, all of that really is very, very similar to a race, uh, to, you know, to, to competing other than you just, your, your risk taking is with your words <laughs> going out to the, to the, to, uh, you know, on the air versus, um, you know, being in a heated battle and possibly making contact with the wall or having a tire failure or, you know, or, or, you know some, something that like a crash. And I have to say, at least when you're calling races from the booth or in the studio, you don't have to feel the same impact of hitting the wall. But, you know, certainly um, it's really cool to see how you've carried over those 30 years of racing in a stock car and then bring it to the studio. And I think it kind of goes to my next question. I feel like, you know, as, as a journalist and a fan, you've really come into your own as an analyst. I can't even compare you to anybody. I was going to say you were like Buddy Baker or Ned Jarrett, but no, you're you're just like you with a driving career. You're your own person. But what makes you feel like you stand out compared to your contemporaries who've gone the route of being a driver turned expert, uh, driver expert and uh, color commentator? Well, and I appreciate you saying that because, you know, that's my goal. I, I want to be me and, and do what feels comfortable for me and, uh, you know, hope that the, the people, the viewers at home um, can, you know, appreciate the, the way I see things or the way I call things. Um, you know, certainly the more you do it, just like driving, you know, the more reps you get, the more comfortable and confident you get. And, and I've got a tremendous amount of support from my teammates at Fox, you know, since I arrived. And, you know, this year was a whole new challenge. I mean, I learned so much from Darrell Waltrip in working with him. And, um, you know, we became great friends, but he, he taught me a lot and and really helped me, 
get into to, you know this role of, of being comfortable and confident and understanding um, you know how to cover a lot of these stories. So this year, obviously, not having him in the booth, you know, put more responsibility and, and weight on my shoulders, and it also gave me some some opportunities to, to maybe dive a little bit deeper into some um, you know some different angles of, of what I'm seeing out there. So. It was a, a year of growth, and, and you know, I, I went into it a little nervous, not knowing exactly how that was going to work, but um, I, I, I really loved it. You know, I love I loved the, the season that we had, and even with all the challenges, I thought it was one that uh, was very rewarding. Um, and, you know, obviously, you can't change who you are. You just got to be you and, and hope that that's, that works. And... You also have to know that you're not on a on an island by yourself, right? That you're uh, you know you're just one of the the members that that makes it work, and you just got to do your job the best you can. Again, like a driver, and and that's what I try to do. Obviously, I have a lot of knowledge and, and experience from all the years of driving, and also you know I you know, my my role at Hendrick also helps me stay very connected to the teams and the cars and the drivers and what's going on. So. You know, you utilize all your your resources and your experience, and and you know try to try to to bring that to every race. And and all those years of driving has helped me tremendously. Even though the cars have changed and some things have changed, uh, it, it still lets me watch what's going on and put myself to the driver's seat, inside the helmet, behind the wheel, and try to relate that um, you know to to the people watching of maybe seeing something that. Doesn't isn't just totally obvious. Yeah, and I think that's what, uh, like I said, makes you a very fair and insightful analyst. Analyst is that you know you are Jeff Gordon. You're not trying to be Jeff Gordon, being like uh, you know like Bill Simms or Tony Romo with football into NASCAR. You're you're your own person, and I think that's what makes you really refreshing when it's the Fox uh, side of the, the uh, NASCAR Cup telecast. So that's what I like to watch when I'm. But I don't get to be at the racetrack, and I have to, you know, rely on you and Mike to give me the information to what I uh, report on races as well. So it's really cool um, to hear that from you. This year's your 30th anniversary in the NASCAR world. I kind of keep track of that, I guess. <laughs> and you know, I, you know, you definitely tested out the uh, at the Buck Baker Driving School and made your first Xfinity Series start with you, Connor T, um, in the Outback car at Rockingham. How incredible were those experiences? with you taking on a new racing series after having all that open wheel and dirt track experience? I mean, that's the beauty of, of you know, where I sit now, right? Of, of my driving career is pretty much, you know, behind me. And, and now I, I get to see the, the, the sport through the lens of a commentator or, you know, partner at Hendrick Motorsports and, I get to reflect on this amazing career that I had. And, and when I went into the Hall of Fame, that, that was one of my favorite things is going back through all these experiences that got me there uh, to that to that place. And, you know, those ones that you mentioned, I mean, those, those were such big moments for a young driver trying to break into it. And, and you have these, these, these opportunities that you don't know where it's going to take you but you got to seize the moment, and I was so fortunate to get those opportunities and seize those moments. And you know, one thing led to another, and, and 
you know, that just led to another, and, and, and the whole thing just snowballed, and it's just amazing to me that even today I'm blown away that I had the career that I had, and and that, you know, things like sitting on the outside front row at Rockingham with Hugh Connerty and Ray Everham, that that even happened, that, um, uh, you know, the midget sprint car races that, that, you know, taught me so much and gave me those opportunities, and meeting Rick Hendrick, uh, all of that. It's just, uh, you know, like you, you couldn't script it or repeat it if you tried it, and, and, and it, you had to do it all over again. It's amazing, and, and you know, now now I get to look back and smile and um, and enjoy what, what kind of career that created because of those moments. And I'd say, you know, who, who, who knew back in 1990 that that would spark what you said, the kind of amazing career that you would have, but that's kind of the cool thing about, like you said, when you look back, how one decision after another and your performances and efforts uh, led to where you got to be today, uh, um, kind of like what inspires me with my career uh, when I look back at what you did, but that's what fuels me as well, um, to say the least. Now, when you were starting off in NASCAR during that time, before you got the cup, who were some of the drivers that you'd say you felt made you feel like you were at home or welcomed as possible? Uh, well, you know, a guy named Chuck Bound, uh, you know, depending on how, how far back your memories go, but uh, you're young. But, <laughs> uh, but Chuck, <laughs> so the very, fir- the very first um, test that I did with Hugh Connerty and Ray Everham, uh, we were in a Pontiac. Chuck Bound, I think, was the defending champion, if I'm not mistaken, or he was leading the points that year, maybe, is what it was. But he, uh, you know, we, we were trying to get up to speed, not 100% comfortable. And I don't know if it was Ray or who asked Chuck if he would drive the car. Um, and, and so he did. He, he came over, and he, I was having some pro- problems with the bumps getting into three and just a little bit unsure of how, how far I could take the car into the corner there. And he drove the car. And, man, it, it just, you know, showed me what that car was capable of and and that, you know, I, I it would stick and, and, you know, gave me the confidence. And all of a sudden I went out there and then I was right up to speed and maybe even went a little faster than, than Chuck did in the car after that. So that was pretty cool, you know, Chuck. And I really like, I always liked Chuck. I thought he was a great guy, just real humble, uh, but a great race car driver. I, I can't say I was real real close to him but uh, I, was, I was thankful that moment but then after that I would say Kenny Wallace and, and Bobby Labonte who I you know I ended up being rookies with in uh, in cup later but those are guys that I raced with and, and got to know in the Xfinity series or you know Bush Grand National back then and we, we had some good times so those guys stand out also. I was going to say, Chuck Bound, I didn't realize you, got, um, you had some kind of acquaintanceship with him. I think he drove the in-cup a few years later, but I, I, I kind of remember him with the light bulb car. Is that the same Chuck Bound we're talking about? Uh, I think that may uh, – uh, there's only one Chuck Bound that I know of. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was just one of those things where, you know, for, for him, if, if he hadn't gotten in the car that day, you know, I, I don't know if I would have gone as fast as I did. And when I did go that fast after he drove the car, then all of a sudden everybody was, like, paying attention, going, whoa, and, you know, who's this kid? 
Hey, look at you've blazed your own trail since then. I think you have greatly changed the paradigm of NASCAR. But who knew? Like that little moment was kind of a little, like the, the catalyst, if you will, of that situation for sure. I got a couple more questions, and I know you got to get going soon. But you know, um, you kind of mentioned about touched upon it earlier about how you know a moment like signing with Rick Hendrick is kind of what sparked your career. But I have to ask kind of putting you back to being about 20, 21 years old, when you made the decision to go to Rick Hendrick's team after what you knew with Bill Davis's team and being comfortable with the Ford um, outlet, did it feel like a leap of faith, you know, giving up what you were comfortable with to joining a multi-car conglomerate? Well, you know, as a race car driver, you're just, you're just trying to, you're looking out there at your goal, and at that point the goal was, to break into NASCAR and ultimately get to the Cup Series, and you know the only way you're going to do that. And what what got me to to that point was driving good race cars, having good people, um, you know that had had the resources to be able to go out there and compete at the highest level. So, you know, the challenge of that decision was not anything to do with Rick Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports. That's that's what was making. You know, I mean, I saw what they were capable of, and and even Ray Everham helped me. You know, look at this organization, and go, man, they have they have everything it takes to be successful at the cup level. Um, what made it hard was I built this bond with Bill Davis and that team, and and Ford, you know, had had helped me. Um, you know, in Bush Grand National, kind of kind of you get that opportunity. I mean, if Lee Morris hadn't made the call, you know, to ask me to go test for Bill Davis, who knows what would have happened. So, you know, you, you have, you're faced with these very difficult decisions along the way. There's no easy path. And you're going to hurt some feelings sometimes along the way. Um, but I, I and, and there's no doubt that, you know, that relationship with Bill was never the same after that decision that I made. And that, that's the part that hurt. Um, and, and who knows what would have would have happened or would have been, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't have turned out quite the way that it did with Rick Hendrick and Hendrick Motorsports. And, um, you know, I, I I I can't help but say it was worth it. But at the same time, even even when I went into the Hall of Fame, I called Bill Davis, you know, to thank him and talk to him, and that was a tough tough conversation. He he didn't want to take my call at first and didn't really have a lot to say. But I'm glad I called him, and, and you know we, we kind of stayed in touch a little bit after that. And so, um, you know, that that was the hardest part about that decision. Well, I'm glad at least you and Bill mended on, on that situation because I know, it, you know, you're always kind of expect- totally. I, I don't know if we totally mended it, but but we we made <laughs> steps. Good. I'm glad to hear because I. I can understand both sides, but I know from your perspective, you were just trying to make the best decision for your career at the point. So I can't blame you on that. Um, and now as an older man, I, I definitely can see the predicament you were feeling, but hey, it worked out my, uh, for you for sure. The last couple of questions are a little bit fun, so I'm going to try to be a little bit uh, quick about these. But I, saw, I talked with Rusty Wallace last month, who, by the way, says you guys are best buds now. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he told me that his favorite car was Midnight, which of course I knew. He was dominating short track races at the time, but 
you know, I know Blacker was your car, but she also had a car called Butthead, and I kind of imagine that's because of Beavis and Butthead from MTV, but whose idea was it to come up with that car's name, and what made it your car to go to when we went to the short track races in the late 90s? Well, you know, you're tied to a race car, especially back then, right? We, we they, they didn't build cars as identical as they do today. You'd build a car, and, and you'd take it to the track, and it was either really good or really bad. Um, when you got a really good one, you, uh, you you wanted to have that car every weekend if you could. Um, so Ray's probably the guy to ask of, of what made that car stand out versus others in its build and, and chassis and body. But, um, you know, the, the, the names, that, that all came from the guys in the shop and Ray Evernham and how he would motivate them. And, and you know, as they're building these cars, the cars become – they, they have their own personality as you're building them, and some some are are finicky and and just give you problems and are a butthead, and others you know are um, I mean we had one blazer because it it caught on fire when they were doing you know some welding or something on the car, and so oh, wow. you know you know we all I know is that they decided they wanted to have the cars all start with B's. And be and called the killer bees, uh, but that was all Ray and the guys in the shop. I you know I, I went along with it and was was happy to uh, to drive those cars, but didn't didn't really have a lot of input on the names. <laughs> Fair enough for sure. Um, and speaking of and kind of leading up to uh, following up with that, Evan Kosoko from iRacing wanted to know what year or car was your favorite to compete in in the Cup Series. Well, of course, it was 1998. <laughs> you know, you're oh, always yeah. going to go back year. to the year, year, yeah, the year that you you know, had the most success, and it was just one of those dream years. You know, 13 wins and in, in the championship, um, and and really, I never had an. I mean, I had good years, but I never had a year quite like that. So that one always stands out. That was probably my favorite year, and that is always going to be the most favorite year of my life, no matter what happens to anyone <laughs> that I, I care about. So I'm thankful you made that well, summer we, really memorable. Well, we, we agree on that. <laughs> and that was Jeff Gordon, who joined us here on, on the hot seat. And that was a treat to have him on the show because, uh, like I said, he didn't just talk about you know being with Fox NASCAR and working with Mike Joy. But he also talked about a past that we really don't get to talk a lot about uh, with Jeff. Most folks associate him with driving the number 24 car, or, you know, his walk-off win at Martinsville, maybe even his walk-off win as a professional race car driver um, in the Rolex 24 in 2017. So it was pretty cool to hear some of the kind of side stories, situations that he had in, in the NASCAR Xfinity series and some of the drivers he kind of uh, coalesced with that, you know, did play an instrumental role in him acclimating to NASCAR and, you know, certainly becoming this icon that he has been in NASCAR, in motorsports, not only for folks like me, but even like Nathan, who got to talk to him in, a, in the bullpen at Pocono and a lot of folks who are listening to this podcast. I think Jeff is pretty responsible for us being, you know, part of the motorsports community. So thank you, Jeff, for joining us. And I also wanted to you know, give a shout out as well to John Edwards. Um, of course, nowadays he's working with Kyle Larson and the number five, HendrickCars.com, Hendrick Motorsports team. 
but um, in 2020, he was Jeff Gordon's PR man, and he did an excellent job representing Jeff um, throughout the past two decades, really. So um, always a pleasure to talk to Jeff and work with John. Hopefully get Jeff here um, in a future podcast, um, kind of a catch-up session and just kind of hear from him on his new role as an executive with Hendrick Motorsports, because he has a lot more say, a lot more influence, if you will, with that organization, which of course is going to be looking to repeat or better their 17 win NASCAR Cup Series winning effort. That's just mind blowing. I mean, <laughs> I don't know how they're going to top that, but maybe we'll get Jeff to kind of talk more about that in the future. Now, as we wrap up the last episode of TPF Live before we get into the next year, because, you know, looking at the calendar, folks, my goodness, after Christmas, as we're recording, you know, recording ahead of Christmas, um, January 1st is around the corner. So my goodness, it's going to be incredible to talk about 2022 in the current and not so much in the future. Um, and 2022 is going to be an excellent year for not only NASCAR, but for, for the potent finish. So I gave thanks to my family and my friends, and I'll let Nathan have a chance to kind of chime in here with our little banter as we close out the final recorded session of TPF Live for the 2021. This was a make or break year for the podium finish, really. I mean, at the beginning of the year, we were kind of still figuring out the pandemic. We didn't have the vaccines out yet. And, you know, I had a lot of folks, you know, volunteer to cover races, despite the fact there were no solutions and more power to them for doing that. Um, and I never asked them to do it. They just volunteered and I would work on the requests. But to be fairly honest, I wasn't sure if the, if the outlet was going to continue, much less if I was going to continue, you know, being a motorsports journalist, um, just because covering it remotely is very difficult. Um, you know, just some folks get the impression that it's so easy to just sit on your couch, tweet races as it happens, and, you know, that's it. It's all you have to do. And Nathan knows this being from St. Bonaventure University. I know this from my, you know, 14 years of covering NASCAR. You don't just sit down in the house and just cover live tweet races and that's it. You don't call it a day uh, like that. You have to work hard and doing it from home was really difficult. So when NASCAR reopened Access in May of 2021 and Luis Torres kind of like took the torch for us, shot the photos in Darlington Raceway, which we talked about on his um, appearance on TPF Live, he really boosted the life of TPF and then we started just crunching out races, getting them done, getting the photos we needed, which I can't wait to do a little like uh, look back at 2021 because let me say our photographers, not to be conceited, not to be cocky, we've got the best damn photographers around. So if you folks want to support a small outlet like us, don't just give like thanks to Luis Torres, Shaw, you know, uh, Sean Folsom, Stephen Conley, uh, Josh Jones, our lead photographer, Mike Moore, who's been one of my biggest advocates in this industry, um, Landon Ciardulo, and you know, just so many, so many photographers. You know, let me go through all of them, and I'm sorry, and then I'll let Nathan talk here because this is our last show until we get to next year, and we've got to give a shout out to the men and women at the podium finish because you know they. They sacrifice their time. They, they just kick ass all around. 
you know, they hear thank you from me in the chat rooms internally, but, you know, not enough, I don't think, on the public front. So this is my chance to say it so. So, you know, just looking at our team, you know, our photographers, we've got uh, Landon, we've got Michael Guerrilla, hell of a photographer, amazing professional. Um, Jonathan Huff, based out of the, you know, Florida area, great photographer who does a lot of stuff for wire services, also does a stellar job. Sean Folsom, basically our Sunbelt region photographer, who <laughs> really, he experienced the most tra like, traumatic weather conditions. He covered the rainy conditions at Toda. He was out in sweltering heat at Texas Motor Speedway for the NASCAR All-Star Race. And then he covered a nice, cool, but kind of windy uh, playoff race at Texas Motor Speedway. Thank you so much to him. Um, of course, we got to talk about Josh Jones just helming this team for the last uh, four years. I could not do it without him. Stephen Conley, is, of course, just going to so many different racetracks, going to so many tracks. Even, you know, when I couldn't get a lift ride to go back to my hotel at Charlotte Murder Speedway, couldn't thank him enough for all he did. Uh, also so, the creator of our, of our great intro. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nathan. Um, you know, thank you. That, that, I'm, that is really nice of you to say. Well, folks, before we wrap up the last edition of TPF Live for this year, let me just quickly thank all of our members of our team, starting with Ashley Hobbs, Tara Jones, Stephen Conley, Josh Jones, Matt Sisler, Kobe Lambeth, Matteo Marchesi, Taylor Kitchen, Cody Shop, Luis Torres, Adam Lucas, Jasmine Sharp, Michelle Rayner, Isabel Bisi, Sean Folsom, Mike Moore, Jonathan Huff, Michael Guerrilla, Landon Ciardulo, Ashlyn Jackson, Glenn Richards, John Arndt, and last but not least, of course, my good friend and my buddy, Nathan Solomon, my best co-host ever for any iteration of a Podium Finish podcast. So on behalf of Nathan Solomon and Jeff Gordon, this is Rob T. Armisen signing off for this edition of TPF Live. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you around for 2022. Let's go get that checkered flag and ring in a new year.